This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m. You're on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Ah, this is a lady, how do I say this without sounding rude, from my past. Um, And she'll tell the story. We go back a long way, but I haven't seen her in the interim. And through the radio, she's reached out to me and I've, I've put her on the show because she's got an important story to tell us. Because one of the things that's happening, not just in New Zealand, but around the Western world, is the utter destruction of small business. And it breaks my heart. And I think it's changing the trajectory of our society. And that more and more of us are working for someone else. Someone else we often don't know, never see, some corporate. And less and less of us are independent, working for ourselves. And you know what it's like when you go into a big corporate with a genuine complaint. You just sort of shuffled around. And you know what it's like to be in your neighborhood and the local business owner is the person you see on the sideline of the soccer or rugby or that the school does. And you just have that connection. And that destruction of small business seems to me to be driven by government policy as particularly the regulatory costs pile on small business and corporates can offload it across a larger number of customers. But, you know, you're seeing the death of law, neighborhood lawyers, everything, every business that you can imagine. And so I have an interest and a concern about this. And, well, let's go through the story. This this lady is called Sue Kuiti. Good morning, Sue. Morning, Rodney. How nice to see you, and thank you for having me on your show. Oh, it's my pleasure. I I don't know what I can say these days, but this is a genuine thing, and I don't want to sound rude. But you and your husband came to me, I guess I met you 20 years ago. And I haven't seen you since. And you were such a fine couple. And I mean that in every sense of the word. And I'm not just focusing on appearance, but your husband is very, very handsome. You were very (laughs) beautiful. You You were very beautiful. You're very kind. (laughs) No, I'm being very genuine about this because we do judge books by their cover. And then the two of you were so remarkably genuine, kind, and intelligent. And it was such a wonderful thing. And to be honest, the audience don't have this benefit. But I can see you on Zoom, and I haven't seen you for 20 years. My God, you haven't changed. You well, I can really... say exactly, I, I did exactly the same to you, but yeah. that is super kind. It must be no. something. And and it's, and it's, it's I, you know, beauty is a funny thing, isn't it? Because it comes ultimately from within because you can have people that superficially look pretty but if they don't have a good heart they're not beautiful 
you know, they can be oh, pretty, I, pretty I, beautiful. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Yes, you and, come from where? And because I messed up my times, I ended up speaking to your husband, Mike, and he, he's just they're not. Oh, you actually with good friends, you go back twenty years and you can pick it up, and it's just like you've never not spoken, isn't it? Oh yeah, absolutely. It's just natural, now, isn't it? This is a great story, don't you think? Oh, it's a terrible story for you. But isn't it a great story of small family businesses up against large global corporates and government policy? You're, you are a, a, a perfect example of that, would you say? Uh, well, yes, we've always been the... David and Goliath battle, haven't we? So yeah. that's how you and I met originally. And sadly, over the years, nothing has changed in our industry, which is obviously yeah. the only industry I can comment on. So um, let's go. And, and got worse, which is sad. Yeah. So tell us about your business and tell us how you got into it. Because it's one of those businesses that not many of us would think about. And I have to say, every now and then, I need to go into a business just like yours. And I always uh, think about you and think about uh -huh. the logic of your situation. So tell us about your business, but also tell us how you ended up in that business. Well, our business is just a small family auto glazing business. So we um, supply and fit damaged, replace damaged windscreens, repair windscreens, any body glass of sadly been broken into or, or something like that. So it's a small family auto glazing business. Uh, we got into it in 1999, actually, when we returned from the UK, where my husband played a number of years. He's so a, your hu husband, your husband will just pause it there. Uh, just, just pause. So how did you get into this business? Uh, we returned from the United Kingdom where my husband played sport for a number of years back in 1999. Oh, was he a professional sports player? He played rugby league, yes. So like for, for, New Zealand. for a living? For a living, yes. He played for the New Zealand Kiwis and uh, also played overseas in the UK for oh, about 12 years we were over there. So, Well, that's um, a tough, tough sport. Tough sport, And yeah. to be playing at that level. Man, yeah. oh man. It was it was nice. It was back before all the professionalism came in. So although technically it's professional to play for a living, it was before the Super League and all those sorts of things. But really did you nice. Love it? To, yeah, did love it. Yeah, yeah. And Two did, of our and, three children were born over there and yeah, lots of good friends. And were you like what do they call them? Are you were like a wag? No, I was never a wag. But what yeah, does a what, wag yeah, stand for? Yeah. Um Woman of woman, uh, oh, wives. What? Oh, wives. I don't know. Wives, something. Yeah, I can't so, remember. I don't know. That was more a football thing. So yeah, yeah. but you were like aware because you would go. Wives for and game. girlfriends. Wives and girlfriends. Wives and girlfriends. Yeah, that's yeah. it. I guess when they organise the tour and the trips, they have a slot and it's wives and girlfriends and someone's managing them and stopping them from suing each other. So you were a, you were a wife and girlfriend going yes. from game to game. Yes. Yeah. How absolutely. wonderful. And did you watch your husband play? Oh, all the time. Yeah. Every did game. Did you worry? Did you worry for him? 
Um, well, yeah, it's it's tough. So, um, and certainly back then there wasn't all the knowledge of uh, head injuries and things like that. So, uh, yeah, it was a pretty pretty rough and tough. But oh, he could look after himself. So, yeah, there's always that little underlight, you know, if you saw them laying on the ground for any period of time, thinking, "Oh my goodness!" But uh, yeah, he he was pretty lucky. Didn't really. Uh, uh, well, that, explains, that explains why he looked like a Greek god and you like a Greek goddess <laughs> on earth because you were like professional athletes and a male professional athlete gets the best looking, nicest girls, right? Oh, good for him. Oh, well, okay. I didn't well, know that. We'll go with that. Yeah. I didn't know that. And what's it like as the career starts to end for your husband? Is it sad? Oh. Well, yeah, I think there's a certain sadness as it as it comes to an end. But fortunately, he was very realistic. So you know it's coming to an end and the yeah. body's sort of been bashed around for a bit and, and starting to get a bit sore. But we, we do know a lot of a lot of friends that really struggled through that retirement um time. Um yeah, I think he was a little bit sad. I was a little bit sad, but uh we we were looking forward to coming back to New Zealand and bringing up our children back here. So it was a nice transition. You came back to New Zealand and you thought, ah, what do we do now? Well, well, Mike's a builder by trade. So he always had that trade to fall back on. And he did go and work for a company building when we first got back to New Zealand. But we always wanted to have something that was ours. And it was really just an advert in the newspaper for – as a franchised auto glazing business that caught our eye and thought, oh well you know we can do that and that was how it all started and when you say it was a franchise was it up and running in wellington or did you have to set it up no they had no operator in wellington so we got it up and running and mike also trained other technicians around the country in the same franchise we did end up getting out of that franchise it sort of collapsed a little bit and okay yeah and we we ended up just rebranding and and coming out of that and our current business is just our own i can't imagine it so how do you you think oh i'm gonna put um windscreens in cars and like i can imagine googling it on youtube and learning something about getting the relevant tools so you can lift the thing around. But you've got to get all the computers, the invoicing, the factory, and you think, how big do I need? Oh, our office. How did you figure all that out right at the start when you've got no money coming in? Well, I was I was working, but also uh, we decided to not have the big workshop and things like that. We decided that a mobile business was Best option, yeah. Well, and from the customer's perspective, is it easier for us to come to you, or is it easier for you to drop your vehicle off and be without it for a whole day? So we decided on the mobile option, which is what we less set up costs. Obviously, you just need a van and and your equipment, and there's quite a bit of training involved. A lot of people think it's cut out a windscreen, shoving a new one. It's a lot more technical than that. Um, But yeah, he he went to Auckland for some some training and then we were just left to get on with it really so I ran the office from home had a whole home office and um and he was out and about doing the work so it, it was a nice fit 
And how did you get your first customers? Because that would be my worry. Like you got to get that first customer and you're thinking, have you done this before? Nope. You're my first. <laughs> well, never say no. Uh, <laughs> fake it till you make it. That's right. <laughs> but yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of just cold calling um, from us, both Mike and myself, just going in and introducing ourselves and giving out a business card. And um, and that would that, be to a garage or who would you be giving your card out to? Anyone and everyone, service departments, vehicle dealerships, um, little Warrener fitness testing stations, panel beaters. There's a lot of work that's just removing and refitting a windscreen for panel work. So um, panel beaters. And back then, of course, the yellow pages was a big thing. So mm. um, uh, and add in the yellow pages just for the Joe Public customer calls. And, you know, proudly, the uh, the commercial clients that we got way back then are still our commercial clients now, over 20 years later. So, um, Well, I had a windscreen. I've had two windscreens go in recent times. I'm living down in uh, Arrowtown, and the guy that fixed it said, oh, well, you'll be back in less than six months because apparently it's quite a thing down here, and uh, I did have another one go. But it's a big deal because – this guy didn't fit it right. Uh-oh. And the word, it was an older car, and the little wee slot kept slipping around, and I'd keep adjusting it. And then one day I lost the trim. And I had a devil of a time. And this was like three months, six months later. I had a devil of time. First I went looking for the trim, where I might have lost it, couldn't find it. Then I had to go around, was it, you know, secondhand, no, with car dumps. And to find that bit of trim, I had a devil of a time to put that trim back on myself. And um, it irritated the hell out of me because he just didn't do it right. And you don't know that necessarily when you drive off from the windscreen replacement place that it's not been properly sealed or properly fixed. This is um, yeah part of our argument, and people don't realise how important a safety feature a windscreen is yes. either. I mean, it's a really, uh, after seatbelts and brakes, um, it's a really important safety feature because it's the structural integrity of your vehicle. So if they're not fitted correctly um, and you are unfortunate enough to be involved in a, a serious car accident, they can pop out, and if they pop out, of course, you ejected outside the vehicle or if you roll over and it pops out the top of your car can crush in so oh wow they, uh, i didn't yeah. know that yeah so well they're, the, they're holding up the front of your vehicle from from collapsing i a never knew that accident. yeah well most people and and why would you most people don't realize but they are an important safety feature and that's why we get very frustrated when um Customers are, are steered around the place to certain well, repairs. I'm, 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 I'm a little ashamed to admit this talking to you, Sue. But you're going to say place, bad words. Yes, the place I went to was of a South African. Uh, oh nature. dear, mm. and and you had problems. Bloody big here problems. we go. <laughs> and I thought of you, and I thought, well, that's why she told me all those years she ago. Did. <laughs> and oh my god. I yeah, never thought of, I mean, I just thought of them not being fitted properly and it being a nuisance because bits drop off. I never, ever thought, 
Ah, go to heck. Now, so now you have a shop or are you still still mobile? No, completely mobile. Isn't that cool? So if I had my uh, windscreen go, well, you could just pop over to my place, you'd have the windscreen, and you'd pop the old one out and the new one in, and on I'd go. That's right. We'd give you a written guarantee for the lifetime of the screen, and we'd be happily on our way. And you'd do it quite quick. Uh, yeah, that's uh, our service standards. We try to be same day, following day, if um, you know, parts dependent, of course. Sometimes you do have to get a part in from, from somewhere else, but we try to be same day, following day. Goodness me. Now, let's walk through going back to, how did I meet you, Sue? We met you when you were in Parliament, Rodney, because we were having uh, issues within our industry with our with the insurance. Companies. So you did come to see me. I did come to see you in your office there. Yes, I did. Ah, because I was wondering whether you came to me because we were having the inquiry. But did we make an inquiry off your case? You made the inquiry happen, so we ended up at that select committee. From well, the I'm quite. Committee. I'm quite something then. You are quite something because I, nobody else would pay any attention. That's nobody yeah. sort of seems to care about the little guy, which is which is sad. Well, and, I and always, I, well, apart from the fact that you and your husband were gorgeous and fun, but I always had that feeling that people that are working and making a living should have our one hundred percent support. And I don't yeah. understand it, that people don't care about this. And I do. I, I, I was trying to remember. Um, by the way, listeners, Sue reached out to me through the radio station, and uh, which is doubly delightful that she's a keen listener. And um, as we say, one of us. Uh, <laughs> but we don't say that necessarily too loudly. But you are. And I think proudly so, right? Absolutely, very One of proudly, us. and you and you can say it as loud as you like. You're a river of filth. I am a river of filth. <laughs> but yes, I, guess, I am, and I'm very proud to say it. And you got to go home every night and sleep in I a did. warm bed. I did, but I, I spent a, a, a lot of time um, on Parliament's grounds, uh, just Good for you talking to all the wonderful people there, and and feeling very sad to leave them and go home and then listen in the evenings to how uh, we were being talked about to the public uh, and around the country and the misconception that everybody ended up with about how disgusting those, uh, those lovely people were and the destruction that was being done to sacred parliament grounds and the cenotaph and and the reality was completely the opposite an absolute shameful period of new zealand's history oh absolutely completely shameful i took videos and and everything to to show mm. people what it was actually like and the the care that those people took of the grounds and the steps that they went to, the rubbish collection that was in there every day, the straw that was put down to try and protect the grounds, uh, least not forget who it was that caused all the mud and the yes. issues. 
uh, in there, but it, 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 it broke my heart hearing what people were saying about those good, honest professional people for the most part. And let's not forget the most of them were vaccinated. Yes. Um, and, and to be called anti-vaxxers and, and all the horrible things that were said had absolutely nothing to do with why people were there and a complete distraction. And I was ashamed to 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 be a New Zealander at that mm. time. And, and um I'm I'm ashamed to have had anything to do with Parliament or indeed the ACT Party. I am ashamed of it. Because well, all they all, all we wanted, and I say we, I I didn't have to camp out there, of course, yeah. because I could come home at the end of the day. But um, all all that we wanted was for somebody to come down and talk. And when have we ever had a protest in New Zealand ever? Where MPs Never. did not come down and address. We'd go people. down and talk to the Mongol mob if they camped out. We're the people. No. They, I, I think MPs forgot. Who they work for, that they they are there to serve. And another thing which I am deeply saddened um, was the behaviour of the New Zealand police. I was about to say the New Zealand police. I have been watching the clips. I haven't sat down and lo- watched the whole thing, but the clips of the movie. What's it? We came here for freedom. Is that I got the title right? Uh, yes, I think you have. Yeah. And you see the police. And you think that is disgusting. It was terrifying, absolutely terrifying. Um, and and yeah, I, I've been. I have up always. I've always been such a supporter of the police. I know they get it wrong, and I know the hierarchy are very political. But the behaviour of the New Zealand police was contemptible. It wasn't just the big bosses because the individual officers were bad. And the individual officers that weren't doing something bad were watching on while others did and didn't stop it. I will never, ever put my faith or trust in the New Zealand police again. Yeah, I was um, was devastated, devastated by that. Have always had the utmost respect. Yes. Um, for police and, and have police members in, in our family who were not there that day, but um, you yeah, always had the utmost respect. But uh, after after that time, just it, it was and, why why would why would we call the riot squad in? Yes, and there's and no, no one's riot. Rioting. <laughs> no one's rioting. Everyone's you know most part asleep still. You know planned it that way. Um, and yeah, we got so off track. Hard. But then the other one is I understand that the media are biased and have a bias, and they exhibit their bias by what they write about, what they leave in, how they word it, how they construct the sentence. So you almost become, uh, you almost have your views on the world assigned to you by journalists because they're telling you what's happening. But I never thought that an individual journalist would lie. And I never could imagine that the entire media would lie in unison. But they were lying about that protest every day. Follow the money. Follow the money. Follow the money. But, like, you wouldn't even think that you would. My friend of mine used to say cynically, he says, it never 
I'm never surprised he was a lawyer. So he was a bit, what's the word? Didn't have the ethical values that you and I would share. <laughs> if I, That's I not very generalised at all. <laughs> if I can put it politely. But he said it never surprised him that people sold out for money. He's, what always surprised me is how cheap they are. <laughs> and that was my conclusion of the New Zealand journalist. So good for you. You're one of us. Now, go back and you came to see me. And what was the issue? The issue at, uh, at that time was the steering, and they call it steering, um, of insurance companies steering their autoglass clients to a particular repairer based on preferred repair agreements. So uh, insurers would argue that, che- that preferred repair agreements are in the best interests of the customer and not based on pricing, but that's absolutely not true what's, whatsoever. So we, we never had an issue with a preferred repair agreement per se. The issue we had was uh, the misleading um, clients into believing they could only use a That's right. Repair. That's right. It comes back to me now. So what would happen is I would break my windscreen. I would ring my insurer, which in my case is AA, and they would say, yes, you can get it fixed at Novus there in Frankton, which were the people that buggered it up for me and still not right. And now I think it's not safe. So there's a double whammy. And I would say, oh, great. And off I would go. But there were half a dozen other windscreen repairing places that I could go to who might do a better job, might even do it competitively. But of course, I don't care because it's an insurance job. And I would never get to know. So there was an agreement in place. I think it was Novus, right? Smith and Smith. Smith and Smith. That's right. Smith and Smith. And they're a South African company. They are owned, yeah, by Belron, which is a huge South African company. And they're around the world. Yes, around the world. Smith and Smith. So what's Novus? Are they part of the same thing? Well, no, Novus are a franchise. Um, okay. Yeah, their head franchisor is in New Zealand. Okay. Um, but they've sort of become two heads of the same beast at the moment. So um, okay. between the two of them, they, they sort of battle it out for Well, it was Novus that buggered up my windscreen. So right. they would steer me, and that's a good word. They you, The insurers would steer you to Smith & Smith. And as a customer, you're indifferent because you got you know no better, and you actually got no ability to assess whether the job's any good or not because you drive out and the windscreen's in, you think it's okay. But what you're saying is not necessarily. And so your problem was you couldn't get that work. Well, and it could be even worse. You could um, You could contact us to get your windscreen repaired, and we say, sure, we'll do that for you. Um, ring your insurance company, lodge a claim, and then we can invoice your insurance company direct. So then you go away and think, this is great, they're going to come out to me. You ring your insurance company and your insurance company say, oh, they're not one of our preferred repairers. We would like you to go here. And you go, oh, 
okay, well, I didn't know that and I don't want to upset my insurance company, so I'll just go and tell me to. So the work came to us originally and then it gets taken away when the insurance company step in. And they use, their call centre tactics use lots of different ways of steering you away from us, even if you've come to us in the first thing. Say you won't get a guarantee. They say that we're not a preferred repairer, so they'll have to have an assessor come out and make sure we've done it properly. They say we're not our health and safety methods haven't been tested. So any number of ways that they then um, encourage their insured to go somewhere different. And you and I, I think we're agreed on this. Are all in favor of competition. You can't be a sports person and not favor competition because that's how everything gets better. Everything yes, gets course. better with, with competition. Yes. But what we have here is not competition, but the use of government regulations, the way government operates. And then you actually have a potential collusion between two companies looking after each other? Well, this is the anti-competitive behaviour that we uh, uh, raised with you initially where you very kindly got us in front of a select committee, um, which was great, and the select committee was great, and the company in question actually was fined after that for misleading customers. Yes, but that was... So walk me through, walk me through. Because I look, it was twenty years ago, and yes. um, I had a few inquiries, and of course, it was everything to you, but just another day for me, in many senses, apart from the fact that you were wonderful. Well, that's um, hurtful, but I can see how that can happen. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, it ended up being a fine under the Fair Trading Act. But just let was... me get this right. So, I wrote a letter to the Commerce Committee, uh, outlining the case. And the committee chair, I'm thinking it was Mark Peck from Indicar. It was Mark Peck. Well, he was a wonderful, wonderful MP. He was a Labour MP, and he was always offside with Helen Clark, and he had quite a choice phrase to describe the cabal around Helen Clark that ran the place. But he he was not of the right mm, disposition to quite fit in. And get elevated, and he'd come to realise that. But he was a, and made him a better MP rather than, if you like, tribal labour. And I remember him saying, "No, this doesn't look right. Let's look into this." So we had you along to the committee, and you could explain what was happening to you. Correct? Yes. And we had also some witnesses with us who were insurance customers who had been on the receiving end of the, of steering. the steering. So, um, And the officials had to sit there and listen. And did we hear from Smith & Smith, that committee? I don't believe that they wanted to um, okay. have anybody come. We had Paula Rebstock, remember? Yes. Oh, yes, because she was in charge of the Commerce Commission. That's right. She, as I recall, she was useless. Oh, absolutely. Not oh, yeah. remotely interested. Not <laughs> remotely interested at all. But, but, but at least I got up, that right. <laughs> it did end up being um, a fine for... No, just, um, I'm still working up to the fine. I love the fine, but because that... So Smith & Smith would clearly have been invited along. I guarantee the insurance companies would have been written to and invited along. 
because it's a bit like it's the highest court in a way in the land. This is why I want the inquiry into vaccine injuries in front of a select committee because it can step outside the bureaucracy and MPs are more sensible uh, than these Paula Repstocks of the world because they just go along with the big end of town. So the Commerce Commission wasn't remotely interested or the Ministry of Commerce, I can't remember what she was, but I distinctly remember that. They had had no care for... A married couple working away in their business, having customers stolen off them. There's no other word for it. They had no care for that. It was like so hurtful. Anyway, they would have all been invited to come along. The insurance companies, it's coming back to me, and Smith & Smith refused to come because they couldn't answer the questions. Oh. You had witnesses. This is what happened to me when I rang, and I was going to go to Supreme Windscreens, if I got that right. Supreme Screens. Supreme Screens. And I got told, no, they're not a preferred supplier. They've got health and safety issues. You you go to this crowd. And they were directed away from you. What IAG were doing at the time, and specifically state insurance, People, a lot of people don't realise that IAG is this massive beast of you know state insurance and AMI insurance and they, they all come under the same banner but what they were actually doing was refusing their customers right to choose even though their um, policy their advertising and their policy documents stated that you could choose so and that's we, what the committee concluded I think and that's where the fine came from and that was yes. a fair trading act that it was yes. misleading advertising. Yes. It really it was it wasn't that they cared about the fact that you know small businesses were getting shafted left, right, and center. And let's not forget that this is just my little Wellington um, independent business. We're all over the country. There's you know there's, there's hundreds and hundreds of us around the country that the same thing is is happening to. Um, so that was the reason for the fine. Was the advertising said choose your own repairer. And the reality was, no, you can't choose your own repairer. So, how wonderful! And the so what happened from that com- committee was we wrote the report pointing this out, and then presumably, the Ministry of Commerce uh, looked into it and prosecuted who? IAG, the, the insurer. And how much did they find them? I think it was something minimal, about two hundred ninety thousand dollars, or something. When you make billions of dollars a year in profit, was um, was nothing really. But but it was a if you it like, was it was a message. A, a message. Did you suffer a consequence for speaking out? Oh, probably. Um, yeah, probably. I'm sure that when my name comes up in insurance company emails, it's got a big, you know, big flashing red light. Um, but it's it's the principle, isn't it, Rodney? Well, because if you don't, if you've just if you got to put yourself out there and say yeah. no, it's not acceptable. Yeah, and if you don't stand up on your principles, you're no one. Exactly. I, I don't understand it. Like you either have values and principles or you don't. Right. And um, if I'm not standing on a principle or value, I actually have to go to me and explain it to the person why. Because, That's right, and, um, and sometimes yeah, and you, you can't rely on. 
on others to do it for you and just no. sit back in the background and think, oh, well, I'll let, you know, I'll let them take all the slack and, and you know, you, you've got to stand up for what's right. And that's the way it's always been for me. Well, so. I'm quite, I'm quite proud of myself. Isn't that something? You should um, be proud of yourself. <laughs> it's sad that I didn't get you that- on. I didn't get you on because I was thinking, oh, I vaguely remember this. I remember you. I'm sort of trying to think through the story. There was an inquiry. How did that inquiry come about? What did it conclude? What happened? And actually, at that point, we would have been slapping ourselves on the back thinking that we had achieved something. And and I think we did. And, you know, for a while it sort of eased up and it became easier to get our invoices paid and, and do the work. And the, the preferred repairer agreements have never stopped. They yeah. They are always there. And like we've said, it's a competitive industry and we would just like to be on the same level playing yeah. field. Yeah. If we if we can compete on the quality of our service and the politeness of our staff and and you know the the good job that we do, our efficiency and be competitively priced, well that's that's not a problem. But when you're all of those things and have a huge company effectively just wanting to stomp on you, um, and it's no secret that the big insurance companies hate us. They hate independent operators. They hate you. They hate us. They they actually call us leakage. Yes. And I I had uh, uh, one of the bosses at IAG tell me that that's what they they call us leakage because we seep out the edge of their preferred repairer operators and and they, also they don't like us. and also you can show them up. Well, our service standards, if we're going to choose a repairer based on service standards, ours are head and shoulders above mm. the the nominated preferred repairers. And we have to work extra hard because we don't get that work continuously handed to us on a plate by insurance companies. We have to work for it and we have to do a better job so that those customers come back to us again the next time. So it's and also your sign. staff, your staff, and this is why I love small business, and this is why um, we have to work so assiduously hard to protect it because your staff are working alongside you. Yes, we're a team. Yes, whereas you go and work for Smith & Smith and you're working for someone who's employed, who's working for someone who's employed, who's working for someone who's employed, who's working for someone who's employed, and on and on it goes. And then you get up to the chief executive who's sitting there working for a board who have nothing knowledge particularly of the business, and then you have shareholders who are institutional investors who have no particular stake in whether Mrs. Brown gets her windscreen put in safely other than they could get sued or fined. I mean, that little those small little businesses are, are a wonder to behold and we should work our butts off to preserve them at every opportunity. And here we are. And, of course, you are just one example. Yes, that's of, what I of mean. A, of, of an industry. No, you just your oh, industry yes. is one example yes. of what's happening in 
the world to the local businesses that used to service us. And of and course, what insurers, insurers don't seem to appreciate is if they make it so hard for little local businesses to do this insurance work, and probably 85 to 90% of auto glazing work is insurance. So if, if they make it so difficult for us that, you know, we end up just thinking, well, let's just flag it. We just don't want to do this anymore. It's too hard. What do they think will happen to the pricing structure? That's right. And it's left with those two giants to manipulate. I mean, you see it in the petrol industry, the supermarket yes. industry. Yes. Um, what do they think will happen? Because certainly it won't be going down. Mm. Um, and, and we keep those big guys honest and our service standards are, are head and shoulders above. But it is sad that you and I are still having this conversation. Yeah, so tell me actually now it's worse. Tell so. me how, how it operates now. Well, what happened about three years ago or three and a half years ago is IAG introduced a third-party administrator who would deal with the payment of their invoices for auto glass claims for independent operators only. So the preferred repairers don't have to go through this separate process. They Their invoices go directly to the insurer. But the insurer brought on this third-party administrator to take care of all the invoicing for independent operators. The company's called Auto Glass Claims New Zealand. So Auto Glass Claims New Zealand, we have to send our invoices to. Uh, technically, we're supposed to ask their permission whether our pricing is acceptable. And, um, and then we can go ahead and do the job, send the invoice to them, and Auto Glass Claims pay the invoice. So all information about every job has to be outlined on those invoices, which is all of our commercially sensitive information, our pricing structure, um, our, everything has to be broken down, the labour cost, how many technicians, the price of the part, any margin on the part has to be broken down before that invoice will be paid, which we don't have any issue with if that was an independent company or the insurer themselves. I'm happy to provide any of that information. But Autoglass Claims New Zealand is, it, uh, is owned by the directors of Novus New Zealand. So they are our biggest competitor. So we are oh asked to... Oh, my God. We are asked to provide all of our commercially sensitive information to our biggest competitor. And they decide whether our pricing is fair and reasonable. And if they don't consider it fair and reasonable, they send it back to the repairer and tell them what the price should be um, to be changed so that the invoice is paid. Do they pretend to have a Chinese wall between the two companies? They do pretend. I don't know what the insurer thought that, we, you know, we're all idiots who are independent repairers because... Uh, they obviously didn't think that we would be investigating Auto Glass Claims Limited when they, they were first introduced to us. Um, and so we did go back and said, hang on a minute, this company's 
Novus company owned by the same three directors that Novus New Zealand is owned by. That seems to be a bit of a conflict of interest with all of our, you know, personal information. Um, they said, no, they're absolutely completely separate companies operated completely separately and they advertised online their, their offices were actually in Lower Hutt, which is where I am. And I went down to their offices and the sign on their door um, had Novus New Zealand and Autoblast Claims Limited on the same door to the no. same office in the same no. building in the same town. What a story. So I actually sent that out to all of our um, network, our independent network, and got severely reprimanded from IAG doing it. You got reprimanded because you were telling the truth, you were pointing out something that was public information, and you were sharing it with free citizens, and they reprimanded you because? Because it was humiliating for them, because they had been <laughs> caught out in a big fat lie. Could, um, of course, because they had been um, telling everyone, no, 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 separate companies. Not separate. They are now. They operate out of separate offices now. But, that's but at just that pretend- time where we were being assured of, of how safe our information was. You are such a wonderful person. That well, is so funny. And, I mean, the idea that they reprimand you, don't you get a little thinking, oh, this could be tough for my business? Or you think you're yes. so far deep in, you might as well just keep going? Yes, I did absolutely think it would be um, tough for my business. Uh, But they're lying to us all. They're lying to us. And um, it's not right. The whole, whole, it just doesn't make any sense to me. There's my logical brain kicking in again. The, The argument that IAG used was that their claims department was just overrun and they couldn't deal with our invoices in a timely way. So they had to bring in a third-party administrator, which just it, it still doesn't make any sense no. because AGC don't have access to customer uh, contracts or, or customer poli- policyholder details, mm. which means we go to AGC to do a job. They can say, yes, that's perfectly fine. We give you permission to go ahead and do that job for that customer. So our our operator, whoever it is around the country, goes away, does the job, sends their invoice. AGC sends the invoice to the insurer to ask if the policy's up to date, whether there's glass cover, whether there's any excess due. If the insurer says, yes, that's all in line, everything's fine, they pay the invoice. The insurer can say, no, that policy was cancelled two years ago, there's no cover. So then it comes back to AGC. AGC goes back to the repairer who's done the job in good faith and say, sorry, no insurance, no payment, go find the driver, chase them for the money. So make any sense. They've got no access to the, the policy details. They're simply there to control the costs from independent operators. And I think what they've done yes. over the three years is they've put all of our information into a computer. It spits out an algorithm. Yes. 
So we go with a job and say, this is code for this part. And so they put that in the computer. It spits out what the price should be. And that doesn't take into any other things that an independent operator may have to contend with that their bigger operators don't. Maybe we travel for an hour to go mm. to the job. Um, you know, all sorts But also of- you shouldn't be handing your information, have to hand your information to them. The As I recall too, Sue, correct me if I'm wrong, weren't the computer systems between Smith and Smith and the insurers somehow integrated? Well, they have to be integrated in some way because um, if you ring up, uh, for instance, state insurance claim 0800 claim number to lodge a claim and the recorded message says press 2 for windscreens, and you go, oh, windscreen claim, press two, you're diverted instantly to Smith and Smith. So you don't need, we don't, in that instance, even have the opportunity for the customer to say, oh, but I've chosen my own repairer because you've instantly been diverted through to Smith and Smith branch. And yet, when I take my policy out, it proudly states, because I remember you showing this to the committee, Oh, you get to choose your own repairer. Yes. It still says that? Yes. And I guess they have to do that for uh, Commerce Commission reasons. But so, and your understanding is, uh, is it legal in New Zealand? We're not lawyers, so we, you know, but your understanding of it, you've looked at it. I thought the Commerce Commission, the Commerce Committee said we weren't happy and the and the Commerce Commission weren't happy with that direction. No, they weren't. And that's when a, a call center were actively saying you can't choose okay. your own repairer. But they can what they say, do effectively is the same thing by but, by making you if I if I if you rang me and you were having a windscreen replaced and a guarantee is very important to you. This is your vehicle. We want to make sure it's done by professional people. Of course. If your insurance company says, oh, well, we can't guarantee that because it's not a preferred repairer, the insinuation is that we're not good enough to be a preferred repairer. Yes. Our, our job yes. is not going to be up to standard, therefore there's not a guarantee. It's completely yes. misleading because there's already the consumer guarantees tag. But also, we all have our own comprehensive guarantees, and the insurers know that. So for them to suggest that there's no guarantee is just completely unacceptable. And and the Commerce Commission really have no interest at all, and they have no interest in AGC becoming part of the equation. Um, I actually met with them recently with a lawyer. We, We put in... Uh, our network put in a, a bit of money each and we had a uh, competition lawyer come with us to the Commerce Commission. It was very positive. We had an hour meeting and their letter to us three months later or four months later suggested that they were slightly concerned that there could be an issue, but they don't have the means to investigate. Again, what, what is the Commerce Commission for? If they're not going to do their job, it might not be a 
sexy story. Um, you know, it's pretty, windscreens are pretty boring, but we are talking about safety and um, competitiveness in, in an industry that's used but to presumably, be $500 million. But does the same thing happen with panel beaters? I would say so, yes. Like I mean, more what, than likely. Yeah, and I mean, it could be happening with building repairs. It could be happening with um, every insurance job, the same techniques. And, of course, we're seeing every family-owned business, we used to sort of call them in a, not, it sounds derogatory now, but we didn't mean it that way, but like it was like ma and pa, you know, business. And you have your name and your reputation and your, your community and your church group, whatever, and you you work hard at it to maintain a good name. It's not just a dollar. No, I feel well, so uh, I feel so upset by this, Sue. Well, it's it's nice to talk to someone who is upset by it. Um, and like I say, this is I, I'm speaking on behalf of a whole load of yes. independent businesses who literally just want to pay the bills, you know, put food on the table, you know, have a have a nice little business there, proudly support staff and and you know and and have people work with us. And all we want is it to be fair. Well, just we've want got it to, to be fair. We've so. got to, listeners, we have to get into this because it's so subtle and unless you're an expert in a particular industry, um, from the outside, you wouldn't know what's going on. And then it's very hard for those within the industry to speak out because, like Sue, you get attacked. But this is what we saw also in the lockdowns, wasn't it? Where supermarket butcheries were essential, but your local butchery wasn't. Where is the logic? <laughs> where it was disgusting. And so the so, little guy battle, battle, battle all the time. And that's all what the we time. do day in, day out, fight, 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 just for our own little portion of the business. That's and, and if it hadn't have been for you speaking out, then they would be further down the road to wiping out all the leakage, which sounds like the river of filth. And you know that in every industry, the leakage is being systematically eliminated. And you can see this happening for family farms too. It's everywhere. It's it's just really sad. And the insurance industry, actually the Commerce Commission, right back at the get-go, sort of argued that there's no restriction for other networks or companies yes. to become preferred repairers. There's just go out and do it. Yes. That was Paula Rebstock, right? Yes. Yeah. There's absolutely, yeah, it's just, it's almost laughable. When when AGC first were introduced, one of our very big, um, oh, one of our, one of our big commercial clients pushed for us to be able to become a preferred repairer. Um, and we went through the process very, very lengthy. They kept us hanging on for three years. I spent putting hours and hours and hours and hours of work into providing them all the information they wanted. 
because we can provide them what they need. We have the network. We can provide the nationwide coverage and we can give them what they want via that by having consistency of pricing around the country. So we, we were offering them everything they, they wanted and also superior service standards. Uh, in Wellington recently, it was two or three weeks away for one of the big repairers to get out to do a windscreen replacement for a customer. I mean, those service standards are easy for us to, to beat and that's what we were what we were doing, but we can also give them what they want. One point of contact, centralised invoicing, consistency of pricing, at the same time as looking after small New Zealand independent businesses. And they messed me around for three years and then said, thanks, but no thanks, and just shut it down. Do you know, Sue, you make windscreen sexy. You make the. There's exciting. no such thing as a sexy windscreen. <laughs> you make, but you make it like a parable of our modern age. I mean, your industry is illustrative of what's happening up and down New Zealand, and what's happening up and down New Zealand is happening in Europe. It's happening in North America. It's happening in Australia. And you go somewhere now to get something done and they say, oh, no, we can't do that for six weeks. And you see everyone clock off at five o'clock and go home. Mike wouldn't clock off at five o'clock to go home if there was a job to be done. No, absolutely right. Absolutely. He wouldn't knock off. But if you're working for someone, if he was on wages and they treated him like just another number, five o'clock, I'm off home. Sorry, buddy. You might not my problem. And what, what they're doing by squashing the little you know, small business is they're removing service from yes. a service industry. And, and humanity. And humanity. And it, yes. And it's sad because people expect a poor service. Yes. Is, we've we've yes. become this nation of, of people that expect it to be a poor service and when you give them a good service it's you know they're sort of blown away and that's what we've worked very hard for to put the service back into service provider and we are very competitive at the same time I appreciate that an insurance company doesn't want to pay double the cost for an independent repairer to do a windscreen replacement than one of their preferred repairers. I understand that completely, but we've always been very competitive. Um, but what, well, what you I'm do gonna when do you... what I'm gonna do is this Sue. I'm gonna email the replay of this. I'm gonna track him down and I'm gonna send it to Mark Peck. See if he remembers MP. us. Yeah he will. And I'm gonna tell him that he and me might have to climb onto our horse again and sort go to back to Parliament or something because this should be sorted. This should be, it shouldn't take someone to have to go to Parliament and talk to an MP and implore them and then if they can be bothered, get a committee to look at and have a, 
uncaring commerce commission that doesn't do its job or ministry of commerce or mb or whatever even it'll have a maori name too by now they keep changing it i can't keep up just to do their bloody job and we have to demand better not just of our services that we get we have to demand better of our government and our parliament because bit by bit you and I can see where this is going to end up. It won't be tomorrow. But in 10, 20 years' time, Sue and Mike will be drinking their pana carades on a beach somewhere. I hope. And there'll be no independent operators. And then the price of windscreen replacements will be through the roof. I mean, don't know. I, I don't want people to misunderstand that we want any special treatment no. as a small business. We just want to be on a level playing field. And now we've got AGC. There's an extra level of hoops we have to jump through. Unbelievable! And, what a and story. to get it in perspective, when we're um, talking to insurance brokers about it, it's it's like saying to a Crombie Lockwood. You have to, you know, you have to go to your biggest competitor at claims renewal time and ask them if your premium prices are acceptable before you send out your premium notices. I mean, we're essentially having to have permission from our biggest competitor to carry out the services that we provide. What a story. Deem something fair and reasonable or not, you know, not fair and reasonable. They are telling us what our pricing should be. Do Is you know, there another industry that has to go through that? Do you know we have to stop because you make windscreens exciting, the story gripping, and what a story it is. But we've run out of time. You're going to keep in touch with us, Sue, because you and Mike, wonderful, wonderful story, illustrative of what is happening to family businesses in New Zealand. And each of us has to do our little bit because imagine it. Imagine it if everything is run by corporates with no local, with a ownership stake in the service that they provide and with institutional investors run from overseas. I think, dear listener, we can appreciate what that would look like given the last little while, and it won't be pleasant, and it won't be the country that we seek. And the only thing that is stopping that from happening right this minute is the leakage. So we've got to build that leakage up into a flood. We've been talking to the wonderful Sue Kuiti, her husband Mike. They run, I'm going to get this right, Supreme Screens in Wellington. They're a delight. If you're in the Wellington area, actually, they can probably help you from anywhere. Ring Supreme Screens before you ring your insurer and say, what do I do to get my windscreen? I tell you what, after my experience, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to write the name down. That was Sue Kuiti. You're on Real Talk with Rodney Hyde, your reality check radio. Not only that, by the way, Sue was at the protest. That's another big plus. Man, oh, man, what a person. Uh, stay tuned. We'll have more coming. Thank you. 
This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10am.